Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Adam Lawrence uh, on the other end of the mic today. Great to have you here, Adam. Thanks for having me again, Will. So, Adam, uh, in addition to being involved personally in over 500 UK property transactions, the majority of which uh, have occurred in the last five years or so, uh, Adam is also a property entrepreneur and involved in uh, when I say involved, he was one of the, the founders of Partners in Property with Sue Sims. Uh, I'm a member of the, the London Meetup, which I'd highly recommend. It, uh, it's on a Friday. I forget which Friday of the month that is. Second uh, Friday, Will. Second Friday. Second Friday of the month. Uh, so that there must be one coming up at uh, sometime in the next month anyway. Uh, always a great meetup. Um but there's a number of other benefits uh, associated with being involved in Pippin. Uh, as I, before we get into the podcast, which is uh, about windfalls and you know what to do with uh, bundles of cash that, that turn up either unexpectedly or expectedly, uh, we're going to have a, just a brief chat about uh, some of the other things involved in Pippin. And, um, I believe you've got a PIP Live coming up uh, over the summer, Adam. That's right, Will. So we ran an event last year, which was slightly curbed by COVID, if those will remember what 2021 was like at the time. But we still made our absolute best of it. And now we're largely free and clear of 99% of those pandemic concerns. We're actually expanded into a two-day event this year. So it's our first two-day event, um, Friday and Saturday. The Saturday culminates in a summer ball so we're looking forward to making up for all those parties and everything we've all missed out on unless we work in 10 downing street of course in which case we haven't missed out on any parties uh, whatsoever but we're beginning to get the best speakers that pip has attracted over the last five years that it's been going and also a couple of uh, exciting new additions to the pip speaker roster we do tend to get people who don't speak at other property meetings for a number of reasons, or at least are very choosy who they associate with. So and, looking forward to it. And just to be explicitly clear for, for those of you who have been absent from the world of property for the last number of years, uh, is Partners in Property. Uh, it's a it's property network. There's uh, regional meetups. Uh, so London, Bristol, Manchester, uh, Southampton, and um, is that you, you forgot the alma mater, my friend Birmingham? Oh, Birmingham. oh right, right, right. There's that other place in the West Midlands. I, I can't can't recall what you call it these days. 
you've got something against Birmingham, Warwick and Coventry, well, that's all I can say. This is consistent now. Yeah, so, so the, the Birmingham uh, was the, the mothership, the, the founding uh, uh, founding concept going back to 2018 that you, you got in? 2017, actually, 2017. Right, okay, so you, you've been going uh, five years now, wow. That, that's... Nearly, nearly fifth, fifth anniversary this year, yeah. yeah. Okay, and people uh, can find out about uh, the the PIP Live, which is a online two-day event. Um, some well, point it's not online, Will, it's in person, in person. All there right. Will, there will be live streaming available, but we would really love as many people to be there in person as possible. And I should, just one thing I'd like to say, it's not your average sales fest where we get you to run to the back of the room at the end of it. There aren't big masterminds and stuff sitting behind all of this where you pay us phenomenal amounts of money for 12 seconds of our time or whatever. Uh, this is a, a self-contained event um, where you can get a real taste of PIP or where our members can get together um, from all over the country. Okay, so some quality property content and uh, some good speakers. So I, I'd encourage it just for the networking alone. Uh, in my experience, the people uh, in the room in a, a, a PIP gathering, um, uh, you, you never fail to learn or connect with, with someone important to your uh, property and property investment, um, whatever the stage you're at. Um, I, I've always enjoyed it as well. They tend to be quite good people, um, which is a, a good thing. Now. Uh, the podcast, which is based on the uh, the Sunday su Supplement article that you've written, which can be found in the Partners and Property Community Group, uh, we're, we're going to get started. And, and you've got a quote to kick it off, uh, Adam. So so let, let's hear it. That's right, Will. Thank you. So I've gone for it this week with the, it's often misquoted, actually, rich people acquire assets. The poor and the middle class acquire liabilities that they think are assets. And that's from Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So welcome to May. Uh, unbelievable, really. And as always, we kick off with a bank holiday, or as the Treasury likes to call it, a bad day for the economy. Um, apparently, they're looking at the viability of permanently enshrining the extra bank holiday this year into the future. Uh, but I'm willing to bet any listeners 50 pence that that's not very likely to happen. Um, so, but this week, I wanted to talk about windfalls uh, and the problem, if you like, of turning capital into income whilst preserving that capital in general. But before we get onto that important topic, uh, and that's one that I think probably generates more social media posts across property groups than any other every single week, um, a summary of the progress and some of the important things that have happened in the macro economy this week seems sensible. Uh, okay, that that windfall uh, point, you know, you're you're talking about. I've I've come into a hundred k. What do I do? Is basically the question. I've got a windfall. Yeah. Yeah. A carbon copy of that post. For some reason, that amount nearly always seems to be a hundred k in the post that I see. Absolutely. Yeah. I think oh. the thing is, a lot of people. Sometimes have more money than that, but they they hundred k seems a safe number to put your hand up and declare. I, I think the most common post is actually uh, I'm coming in to say hundred k. What, yeah, what yeah, do yeah, I exactly. do with it? What 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 should I do with it? Exactly right, and that's very typical. When I worked in uh, wealth management, you know, people would say, 
oh, I've got X to invest. And if you did your job in the right way, by the end of the first conversation or the second conversation or the third conversation, X would be 10X, if not 100X, realistically. But there's a path, there's a pathway through to trust, of course, in these situations. So, Okay, so we're going to talk about the macro uh, economic uh, things. So we've got a bit of context uh, in relation to windfalls. And I, I think this is kind of like the whole whole idea, like like uh, what to do is based on what, how do you see things. Um, and, and, and one of the, the great things that you do, I, I think, is that you, you get it out there what the, the wider economic stuff uh, actually means to a micro investor, an individual, uh, you know, who that they don't necessarily care about the big picture, but they understand that it's uh, a big factor in, in their own investment success. So uh, over to you. Thanks, Will. I think people want to know that someone who maybe they can at least set some stall in is paying attention to this stuff so they don't have to, realistically. But like you say, without the so what, it's just a boring diatribe about inflation and unemployment and all the rest of it. So. There's, there's a couple of big things that have come out of the US this week that are relevant uh, without a shadow of a doubt. So quarter one 2022 has seen a contraction in the US GDP. Uh, the smallest level of contraction by measurement, 0.1%, but still is shrunk. Now, we have to put that into context. Immediately, you see the floodgates open on headlines that say, Recession coming in the US, that's it. Recession, We're in recession already, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't agree with that. But you need to remember that quarter one is historically the worst performing quarter in economies that have a northern hemisphere weather structure. So they've got winter, you know, roughly December to January, uh, to February. Uh, so quarter one very, very rarely sets the world on fire in a normal year. Now, of course, we haven't had normal years for the last couple of years, but it might seem that the pandemic bounced back as effectively happened at this point. So remember, Christmas period, you've got more consumption than usual, goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then after Christmas, there tends to be a, a bit of a pinch point where free cash flow is more restricted than usual for the average household. So there has to be a negative drag on consumption. Now, it's not the only reason this year. There's a lot of consumer confidence issues around the cost of living crisis, apart from anything else. So we need to bear that in mind. But because it's a lot of staple goods that are going up, like food, fuel, energy, et cetera, et cetera, you can't really front buy those things because you think you're in a very inflationary environment. You know, you might be able to have a few racks at home and get, go to Costco or whatever. That'll be about the most you could do, really, on that front. Um, and, and so what, what are the... Uh, what, what are the government agencies doing in the United States? What what are they? Well, this is this is big uh, because ultimately, I think the prob probability of a recession right now, as in quarter two contracts, is still very very small. Maybe ten percent, maybe less. Um, but it's a warning shot because ultimately, the Federal Reserve has kind of been ramping up the talk around how many base rate rises there are going to be. Now there is. A difficulty at the moment, which I've talked about before, which is trade the, the old trade-off between inflation and, and, um, and interest rates is not as solid as it would normally be, because this inflation is not coming from a traditional source. It's not been coming from the roaring economy. 
it's been coming from supply chain disruptions, it's been coming from pandemic symptoms and fallout effectively. Um, so the chat has been more and more and more cranked up around two base rate rises in one go, three base rate rises in one go. This is an extreme level of aggression compared to the last 13 years of central banking since the financial crisis. There was a big drop. And in the US, they did creep back up to about two and a half percent. They did it relatively quickly. And even way before the pandemic, that had already started to fall over and started to slow the economy down. So they dropped the rates again. So, it's, so now... And, and so people who aren't following the data um, updates regularly, how often do the does the Fed uh, and its UK equivalents, um, how often do they, they do these updates? So they will meet every six weeks, generally speaking, but as and when there are times of crisis, so you went back to March 2020, if they need to meet this morning, they'll meet this morning, right? So when, when there's a need, so the day after the referendum, because markets were all over the place back in 2016, bang, there was the Bank of England taking action, steadying the ship. And that's, the, the Fed is a more complex beast because you've got, Federal, you've got federal representatives with significant power in different states. Um, you've got a much more political situation than you have in the UK. If people scoff when they say we've got an independent central bank. And look, that independent central bank has to work in concert with the government of the time. But they're not particularly partisan people. They're pretty good. You know, economists, generally speaking, tend to lean a little bit towards the left. Um, just by the nature of the beast, it seems to be what what washes out, um, or certainly what people used to consider to be the left. I'm not I'm not really sure anymore, to be honest, Will. Um, and, and what are the markets, uh, the stock markets doing? So the the other big bit of news really is the Nasdaq's down 13.3 percent for April. So dropped 4.2 on the last day of the month. Amazon down over 14 percent on the day. You know, it's a mega cap. It's got 1.25 trillion market cap, even after losing... Trillion with a T. Trillion with a T. Um, you know, it's the third or fourth biggest company in the world by market cap. Um, so 14% is, is phenomenal. Obviously, it's over $100 billion. You know, it's, it's nearing $200 billion wiped off the value of one company in one day. Um, I think the sensible interpretation, which I'm inclined to agree with, is that Basically, the pandemic has flattered to deceive Amazon's figures. Um, and I I'm, I'm, I'm can guarantee you many a hedge fund would have made a pretty penny shorting things like this, especially on the back of what happened to Netflix last week when they took a, a bigger percentage haircut, um, but a smaller in real terms haircut in their market cap. So this is the worst week for the Nasdaq since October 2008. Um, and... Many will remember October 2008 as a pretty rough month for the stock markets. So needs to be borne in mind. Um, so, you know, big tech has absolutely raced away in the pandemic. It soared. Elon Musk, people forget, was only, in inverted commas, worth about $25 billion at the start of 2020. Uh, and he's worth more than 10 times that now. And he's doing all these wonderful things, buying Twitter and all the rest of it. It just seems that the chickens are coming home to roost on some of these valuations. And the reality is that this level of growth and in earnings 
and customer bases and eyeballs and clicks and listens and all the rest of it cannot continue at the rate that it has done over the past couple of years. So this, I thought, was a good time to revise some of the economic reality I've been discussing over the last 18 months and beyond. Um, I first used the term after the Brexit, though, fakeflation, uh, to describe some of what was occurring. Because in simple terms, the pound went down in value compared to the major currencies in the world overnight. You know, the markets didn't expect Brexit. It was rated as about a seven, eight, nine, ten to one shot by the markets in general. And when it happened, they put in a major vote of no confidence in, in Brexit, ultimately. 15 to 20 percent downwards movement overnight in the value of the pound. And that created inflation because we import so many of our goods, including a lot of our foodstuffs. Inflation touched 4%, which was massive at that time, because the economy was limping along with a very average inflation rate below target, at and around target, one point something percent before that. And also, things were particularly flat in 2019, although there were a few recession indicators that were being talked about for 2020. And that was obviously before the, pan before the first case of COVID was discovered before the pandemic was even on many people's horizons. Um, that inflation subsided because it was a one-off shock effect to, to the exchange rate. Um, but really, the reason why I brought that up is fakeflation is a concept that should be re rediscussed today because inflation should be a symptom of a healthy economy, right? But it isn't right now, and it wasn't in 2016 after the referendum. It was a shock effect. So right now, in the short term, we've got these supply chain disruptions that we've talked about. And then you could argue there's some medium term trends against globalization because of some of the things we've discussed before. Will China make 90% of the US's prescription drugs? When a pandemic happens, the US realize they're not very happy about that, right? And, and we're, we're going to uh, be getting into the windfall uh, like how this affects a windfall because the value of money uh, is a huge factor in what do you do with that money. And also, you know... And inflation is a, uh, has an impact on the value of a pound today versus tomorrow. Well, there's a great quote that I'm, I'm sure I'm going to use as the header quote in the future, and I won't, I won't quote it verbatim to spoil that, but basically it says that the, uh, the gambling known as business looks down its nose at the business known as gambling. And the point behind that is, you know, when you buy stocks, when you invest, when, when you buy property, when you do anything, uh, arguably even put it into government bonds or a bank, right? There's a, there's a gamble there. There's a bet there, right? And ultimately, we're all betting on the future, as you said earlier, and where it's going. And when you bet, your mind is wired in a certain way and things can make you make bad decisions. And inflation is definitely one of those things that can make people make bad decisions. So the, the next bit, it is, it is all about a wealth warning and what can be dangerous to your wealth. No two ways about it. So ultimately, we've got short-term effects that are quite clear. And we know this week, you know, Beijing shutting down um, incredible... Um, circumstances around what's going on um, in China in general and their zero COVID policy. Obviously, the Russia-Ukraine situation is ongoing. That has significant consequences for commodities and energy. 
on the economic side, let alone the, the human life implications, obviously. So, um, you know, inflation, I, there is an ideal for an inflation to be at the 2% government-led target, right? But ultimately, bigger inflation can be a destroyer of economic value. You know, we don't work with China or Russia, generally speaking, on a trade basis because we want to. We work with them because they're the cheapest solution to our problems, right? That's the way that globalization has pushed the world, yeah? It's the reverse of the, the Preston model of the local authority world where they try and feed the local economy to help. It's the total obverse of that. Um, so if we don't work with them, that will be gigantically inflationary over time. The price differentials are absolutely massive. Um, and this is part of the central argument at the moment about transitory inflation, as in this inflation has come along. It's a relative one-off. It's not as much of a one-off as the referendum inflation, but it's a one-off and it'll work its way through the system. Now, I've been in the secular camp for about the last 15 or 16 months um, in that it's a much more permanent phenomenon because of some of those impacts of the pandemic and things that we've already talked about above there. You can sort of read into the above that the, the, the truth, probably, like always, is that it's not a binary thing. It's not transitory or secular. There's an element of transitory and there's an element of secular here. And the question then is how much is, is each element of whatever? So there's only one guaranteed way to fix it. Can I just, just get the, the, uh, the summary explanation again? Secular versus transitory. So transitory, it's a one-off event that's happened, and it, it once that's worked its way through. So if you imagine, we're going to get over it basically. Yeah, prices are a hundred; they go up to one hundred and five, but that was a one-off event. So next year, when they're still one hundred and five, inflation for the last twelve months is zero because it's worked its way through. Mm -hmm. Right? Secular, there are longer-term impacts that are going to push inflation up and up and up over time for example we buy fewer things from china and we have to pay more money a very basic one uh but the, the deglobalization side of that and I, I can't emphasize the importance of understanding this this sort of stuff because if you've got a, a better understanding you're going to make better choices uh with what to do with your money how to invest how to uh, how to optimise your own situation. Absolutely. And I think we talked about decision-making and, and gambling ultimately and, and its relation to investment. And the first thing that you want to try to achieve is some sense of knowledge and being in control of where things are going. There's not been a lid on inflation. Constantly we've been outperforming or overshooting the targets and the expectations of the analysts we want to have a rough idea of where this is going to top out and where it's going to calm down a bit and then what that means and what the opportunities are baked within that scenario ultimately will so there's only one guaranteed way to fix inflation when it go when the when the when the gate is open and the horse is bolted the trouble is we get this upward sort of cyclone that we've talked about before and the only guaranteed way to fix it is a recession, unfortunately, right? It's not the only way out from here, but it's a guaranteed way to fix it. So 
the other way, the other traditional way is growth in productivity. Um, now, there's a problem there because the UK struggled with productivity growth for the last 15 years. There's a, on the, on the optimistic side, a potential silver bullet due to increased productivity from working from home. You know, commuting is pretty damn unproductive for people. Being stuck in traffic is very unproductive. If you think, you think about the equivalent of, I believe it was a graduate student who designed the improvements to the McDonald's drive-through a number of years ago. And they estimated that he saved eight seconds per customer. Now, if you multiply that up into McDonald's around the world drive-throughs, that's hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in revenue every year because you can just serve more customers, right? If you think about the GDP of the economy and you could do that to traffic, let's say if everybody got to their destination 30 seconds faster, the impact on the GDP would be utterly phenomenal. It would be in the billions and billions, if not tens of billions of pounds every year. So is it the silver bullet? You know, so I if there's that... any aspiring uh, traffic flow designers uh, out, out there, get, get to work, please. If it was up to me, well, they'd be knighted if they could do that sort of thing. So um, <laughs> I'm careful with my choice of the word may there, ultimately. Now, We've got to a stage now where there is some structure and purpose and planning involved in working from home. It's not just Boris coming on the TV and saying, oh, there's a lockdown, which doesn't apply to me, but does apply to everybody else, obviously. Um, it, there should be something, but will it be a silver bullet or will it be a damp squib? Um, alongside that, productivity, just because of the way that it's measured, is lowered you know, there's a drag on performance when the labour market is very tight because there are lots of, by the definition of productivity, which we, we talked about a few weeks ago, um, and I'd recommend anybody go back and listen to that podcast if they haven't done, because that was a, a cracker. Um, you know, it drags the figures down, ultimately, because we're measuring output versus input, or output versus hours of time worked and things like that. Now, there's been so much noise, just like there has been in many, many great... If you look at the... Uh, the Wikipedia page for UK recessions, yeah? you've got all these recessions that last a relatively similar amount of time. There's a relatively similar impact on GDP. Inflation does different things in those recessions. Then you get to 2020, <laughs> and there's a quarter where the GDP drops 14%, right? which is so far out of the water of anything that's happened for several hundred years. So that, that messes up a lot of these metrics in terms of the amount of volatility and noise there are. So it's quite difficult to believe the official productivity figures at the moment and get anything meaningful out of them. But I do want to say once more, just as we said last week in some detail, recessions do not automatically increase equal house prices going down. Certainly in nominal terms, especially when you've got 7% plus inflation. You know, if they go up 5% this year and the inflation figure over the year is 9%, they've lost 4% in real terms. And, you know, I shared that graph a few weeks back, uh, I think last week when we talked about it. Um, now, 4% down in real terms is a huge departure from the long-term average. It's a significant underperformance, but in nominal terms, they've still gone up. And we talked last week about the power of leverage and how that shows manifests itself in those situations. Um, but particularly in a, 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 an environment where the interest rate is typically going to be below the inflation rate. 
Absolutely. So the, the, the lenders are losing money in real terms. And, and the, the, the value of what you owe is less, essentially, in, uh, in real it. terms. That is, if it's fit, as long as it's fixed rate, it's fixed at that nominal value. So as long as you're outperforming a nominal increase of zero, then your leverage is still making you money. And, it, it, it and just, just to put a little, little asterisk on the end of that, um, you've got to have an ability to service that debt uh, and stay within the terms of your, your lending. So with that as a, you know, as a threshold, um, I personally are taking the view that uh, I'm looking to borrow as much as I can. Sensibly, I agree with you at the moment, definitely, in terms of, you know, a good debt service coverage ratio. I don't really like 125%, if I'm honest. Well, I think it's way too skinny. Um, and that's probably where there is probably a little bit too much credit extended at some points in the economy. And if you look at, if you go to Lloyd's or you go to another big bank, they're not working on 125%. They're working on 150, 160, which is much more sensible. Um, and it, it makes them have a very, very good loan book, ultimately. And I think that's definitely worth more than an asterisk, my friend. That is worth very much worth, worth repeating. Um, so if there was a, a symptom of 2008 that hasn't necessarily been fixed, it's the level of gearing. Um, but of course, they're quite cautious about how that would impact things like the London market if they withdrew. Because obviously, when they changed the rules in 2019, uh, 2017, sorry, um, they changed to 145% debt service coverage unless you had a five year fixed rate mortgage. Um, uh, and, you know, the three ways things go uh, wrong are the, are the three Ds uh, as far as property investment uh, it's death, divorce, and debank. <laughs> I've not heard that one before, but I like it. I like it. Um, but, but yeah, very, very true. And uh, you, you definitely need to bear that sort of stuff in mind. We were talking before we started the podcast, weren't we, about reading terms and conditions of things um, and contracts. And a lot of people are not necessarily aware of the covenants in some of the loans that they signed. So that needs to be very, very clear. Um, so that's probably our context done, Will, I think. And we can go back to... The, the primary topic, which is windfalls. So as I'm the way that I am for John Cox's benefit, uh, an MBA student and not just any MBA student, but the Dean Scholar, um, I think we should start with a definition of what windfalls are, right? So my definition would be a disproportionate sum of capital compared to one's existing levels of capital and income that comes under an individual's control. So there might have been no mental preparation at all. For example, you won the lottery, never really thought you were going to win it, but you won the lottery. There might be a period of preparing for the windfall. For example, an inheritance has got to go through probate, et cetera, et cetera. It might even be a regular windfall if you're a trader in the city, for example. You might know there might be a bonus every year. It might be a, a particularly significant one this year. That might not be something you can continue to replicate for the next 10 or 20 years or even two or three years because of the, the pressure that you're working under apart from anything else. It might be you're cashing in the lump sum of your pension uh, or you've sold a business. So you've been expecting that for a whole number of years, really. So a chunk of change uh, is, uh, has arrived. So I thought my, my definition was more eloquent, but I'll take that. A chunk of change has arrived. I like it. Yeah. Um, 
And that's quite. And quite there may be pre-warning, or there may not. Exactly. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So that's a pretty wide range of most of the the, the situations we can brainstorm. Um, and of course, there is danger here that is inherent in these circumstances. Mindset is absolutely key. There will be very differing. No, sorry, that was mindset. Absolutely. So sophistication levels will vary in every case, and it might help to channel the best one of the best parts of the rich dad poor dad. Um, methodology and book which is today's quote buy assets not liabilities right so expectations are also absolutely key what do you expect i remember sitting with an investor in 2016 and what he expected to be able to do was replicate the performance of his friends who bought assets in islington in london in 2011 there have been double digit capital growth in all of those years hence including 23 percent in one year in Islington. We looked it up there and then on the land bridge. And if that's the average in Islington, I imagine there's um, there's some things, outliers that are well, well beyond that. And I can think of numerous properties uh, yeah. where that would have occurred. You're looking at people who held stuff for three years and it doubled, literally doubled in value um, at, the, at, the, at the extremes of that distribution, like you say, Will. So I suggested that a time machine was the appropriate tool for that investment. And uh, I also made the case right there and then why I thought in 2016, the London market was over its peak and potentially in for a rough ride. That was early 16s. That was before uh, the referendum, apart from anything else. So my advice to him was he had to manage his own expectations compared to other investments available in the now. So... He went on to purchase some properties in an area I recommended to him. And the capital growth, whilst it was not of the Islington 11 to 16 standard, has been solid and vastly outperformed Islington in that same time frame between 2016 and now. And also importantly, the volatility and the risk downside was far, far lower, which also should be very important when you're considering investment. So... We also need to make a particularly clear distinction between capital and income. Very often, I've seen it many times before people have unfortunately made mistakes. People have got that capital sum to invest that we talked about, that, that say I had 100K, right? And that might be why they're listening to this or, or reading the article. <laughs> and they just think, if only I could turn that 100K into XXK income every year, forever i'd be set. now that's harder than it sounds of course and there's a few principles that we need to hammer home now don't compare to investments that have happened in the past as we said above compared to investments in the now another one is don't use bad news as an excuse to procrastinate <clears throat> you have to do the work if you're going to be involved in active property investment You've got to find the deals or find the people who can find the deals. But you've got that's going to be hard work as well. You know, if you don't have the time, then you're going to need to find the people who do have the time. Right. Deploy the capital. Time in the market, not timing the market, which is, of course, uh, good old Uncle Warren, Mr. Buffett himself, uh, who I think tends to make a a weekly appearance in our efforts, Will, generally speaking. Then... Quite, quite rightly. Absolutely. I think he's earned his way in, it's fair to say, my friend. <laughs> um, 
consider volatility, as we said above about Islington versus uh, other areas that are considerably less salubrious. Return of investment before return on investment. Uncle Warren, another another classic uh, Buffettism. You know, don't be chasing 1% a month or 30% returns on loans from people who have bad credit risks or who you wouldn't trust with your grandmother, partner or kids. Be realistic. <clears throat> How are they delivering these sorts of returns and leaving margin for themselves? It's not impossible, but what's their track record? What's their reputational risk? What's their skin in the game? It is much easier to control your own destiny. It's just hard work. Uh, you still control your destiny if you let, if you decide to lend money to people who have bad credit risks or shaky operators, I'm afraid. So what's the best asset class for me? Well, I still believe leveraged property will outperform other major asset classes in the next 10 years. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the space that I'm in. That doesn't mean don't diversify. It doesn't mean I don't diversify. For example, look at ISAs and lifetime ISAs if you're under 40, especially. Um, tax advantages plus flexibility are excellent. But if your time horizon is under five years, don't put money in the stock market. It's as simple as that. It's not a good idea. And the single most important principle of all, an evergreen principle, windfalls, potentially windfalls aside, put the right people around you. This is the absolute key because it is a lonely game. We all need peers and mentors. And that doesn't mean you need to be paying exorbitant sums of money for those people. Um, some of the best mentoring relationships I've ever been involved in have been very low cost or they've been free, ultimately. Um, and don't forget to put one hand behind you and help others out on the way up either. That's what others will have done to you if you're putting the right people around you. And so you should also pay it forward. So I think, Will, that's it, really. That's the, the answer to the meaning of life and certainly investment um, in just a few words there. So uh, I'd like to well, well, I, I think you've done a great job in, in covering off um, a framework for dealing with a windfall and, and I suppose investment philosophy in general. Uh, well done. Adam Lawrence, check him out. Uh, Adam G. Lawrence on LinkedIn. I'm Will Mallard. This is my Property World podcast. Thanks again. Thanks, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.